Hello. This is an excerpt from our most recent bonus episode, where I interview James Turley, supporter of the Communist Party of Great Britain. Turley joined us to talk about Louis Althusser in a bit more detail. We hope you enjoy this clip, and if you're interested in hearing more, please support us on Patreon for $3 a month. We'll get twice as many episodes, including interviews and discussions we have outside of our normal roundtables. Please enjoy. On, on the basis that, you know, that they're a kind of Jadan or vibe basis, that their theory is inherently kind of formalist or something like that. So it's an argument that um, uh, scientific, science, uh, sort of philosophy is relatively autonomous from the wider uh, um, instances of society and implicitly from the party. Um, or from the, the the party leadership, the um, the other thing that actually is, is the wide, wider business of how how can we protect the integrity of the sciences? So, like, we don't want again hack Stalinist critiques of Freud to to divide. I I guess um, honest communists from what for Althusser is clearly just the um, the fundamental basis of psychology. To be, if it's going to be done properly, so there's a, in in a certain sense that I think those are what, what's driving him. And then when it it becomes clear that the result is that it creates a sort of class of philosopher kings, I guess he begins to be troubled by that, and he initially starts to think about well, how can we how can we distinguish uh, different sorts of discourse in society? So this is, again, this is an unpublished thing again from the, from the mid-60s. Sort of, okay, so um, ideological discourse has a kind of um, s- sort of self-evident subject, and he's kind of drawing on kind of Lacan to a point um, on that, like the, or the Lacan's theory that you kind of, that you sort of misrecognize yourself as a fully coherent subject kind of thing. Um, which of course gets developed later, and scientific um, scientific um, um, discourse. What's the subject of scientific discourse? And he initially comes up with an idea. Well, uh, the subject of scientific discourse disappears into the science kind of thing. So it has a science, has a subject, but then it sort of disappears somewhere. And then he realizes about three pages later that this doesn't make any sense, and he decides that science is in fact a process without a subject. And that the subject category of the subject entirely belongs to ideology, and so then it's this sort of th- this he actually sticks with. He, you can see like references to it in the um, reply to John Lewis and so on. It's a kind of he sort of says, "In as much as I write anything scientific, it's like it's because I didn't successfully manage to uh, uh, to, to um, sort of." produce something that kind of outlives my own sort of subjectivity. I can't remember what the exact formulation is. It might be in the ideology essay, actually. But it's, um, it's a, so then science becomes a process without a subject, is the point. And um, then, okay, what's philosophy? Is philosophy a science? And he arrives at the answer, no, it isn't. And in fact, what philosophy is, is um, and this is where he's at the same time he's becoming kind of more Maoist. Philosophy is class struggle in the field of theory. So for him, philosophy has no history in the sense, in the sense, quote unquote, in the sense that a science has a history. It does not produce, like um, in that sense, sort of a cumulative body of knowledge. It's uh, 
it is in fact just the site of an endless fight. And the fight is between two sides in all ages of philosophy, and those sides are materialism and idealism. And the task of the of the Marxist philosopher is to take positions in determinate philosophical um situations or conjunctures is the sort of altazeries word for it and um nudge things in the direction of materialism and in that way that we will increase the ability of the scientists to do their proper work but the job but philosophers do not have in that sense they do not generate something of themselves which um is of inherently lasting value it is always about staking claims in a sort of back in a terrain taking so uh taking um points in a battlefield almost and uh this is uh um, obviously i think El- i don't think elliot likes this at all i think he elliot basically considers it like sort of hyper maoist yeah he 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 refer- he kind of locates a half jokingly call it a, a break yeah. around the letter to john lewis where he kind of says that althusser tries to correct earlier problems by going deeper into Maoism and Elliot thinks that that is pretty much wrong all about like he, he <laughs> the wrong direction yeah, he, he kind of he's pretty he condemns uh Althusser pretty hard for mm. Maoism which I don't know like you know and uh, you know French Maoism it's a mm. little hard to say how much that's tied to Chinese yeah. Maoist thought and it's all very complicated but Elliot certainly seems to think that it was it ends up reinforcing more of the problems he was trying to escape from in the first place. I mean, it's a, I guess the thing that should be said about like kind of Maoism in France, and this is a like, in, I've had, I mean, um, there's been a, a more int- more recent sort of debate in the in the page of the Weekly Worker um, about post-structuralism, and one of the one of the people talking about it, he's a kind of sort of Frankfurt Schooly Hegelian guy called Brett Stun. Um, was arguing that his argument was essentially that kind of structuralism and post-structuralism structuralism was um, was a function of Stalinism and that uh, post-structuralism was um, a, a right-wing reactionary um, sort of revulsion against Stalinism by people who were disillusioned in the PCF and of course, the interesting thing about that is that it's just historically false. Like, if you look at the people who become like the key, key uh, sort of post structuralists, unless you count Altizer, I guess, um, the which he doesn't, he th- he he, uh, he thinks he's a structuralist or whatever. That you you look at um, like someone like Yulia uh, Kristeva um, or. Um, Roland Barthes, um, of course, he had a sort of structuralist phase, and then kind of grew into post-structuralism later. These people, these were members of the of the Tel Kel group, which um, Kristeva, I think she's married to Philippe Soler. I might be wrong about that, but Philippe Soler was a kind of the the mastermind of it, and he was trying to kind of pitch it to the PCF to be its like literary journal. Um, but when they said no, he was he sort of rage quit and became a Maoist. So they all end, they all ended up in like Gauche Proletarian, which is like one of the sort of major mouse groups in the sort of sixty eight period kind of thing. Um, and if you sort of look at the backgrounds of, of a lot of these people, they're either Maoist or they're like if you go further back, um, they were met. Um, you think of Leotard and Cornelius Castoriadis, who were members of Socialism, Rubar, the famous kind of left communist group. 
uh, libertarian communist group. So um, actually, they're all coming from everywhere other than the PCF. And uh, that, I guess, brings us somewhat to um, the 68 issue. So um, Althusser was essentially incapacitated in severe depressive episodes for the whole period of the actual rebellion. Um, and afterwards, he sort of, sort of maintained silence for a while before kind of ultimately endorsing the PCF line um, that it was a very important mass strike and it's very important that the strikers' demands were met and the strikers' demands eventually essentially boiled down to some wheat tea reformist type um, uh, stuff that the PCF um, leadership felt comfortable advocating in, in the context. Um, so this is a it's clearly I think it's a it's a fa it's a failing on Altus's part, partly because it's just not his politics. Like I mean, I am critical of his politics because he's a Maoist and I'm not a Maoist and I don't think Maoism is the answer. There's a line in one of Terry Eagleton's book that it's like kind of, you know, giving up on Stalinism to um become a Maoist is a bit like kind of giving up heroin by weaning yourself off it with crack. And it's a sort of there's a sort of truth to it there, and I, it didn't. I don't think it did Christeva any good. You know, in the end, she went to China, was so disgusted that she became quite right wing. You know, it's a, um, it's not a, it's not the answer. I know, I know, it's kind of more popular a bit now uh, with the with the millennials, but it's um, nonetheless, he was a he had positioned himself as a left. It's a reason Francia is so pissed off is because Alcides has sold himself to these students as a left wing figure in the PCF, and in the end, like. He was. He did not distinguish himself sufficiently from them. I mean, I think there is a sort of one has to be careful with how we talk about this this sort of stuff in the sense that, like, the existence of like the PCF get got I don't know whatever it would have been like twenty percent of the vote, twenty five percent of the vote at the time, kind of thing. Like the idea that a few tiny like that Guy Debord is gonna write write something scribble something down on the back of his jitan packet and that's going to cause a revolution with without the pcf changing is nonsense like that we can talk about the pcf betraying the revolution but then it's also that it was it was what it was and it was inevitably going to betray the revolution it was necessary for it to be actually swept aside like completely replaced by something else or completely transformed by people fighting within it. So the problem with Altazer in 68 is, and this is the trouble in the sense, like, you know, I mean, I got interested in him because he had this particular weird sort of biography as a sort of, you know, philosophy and was politically engaged. As a factional operator, he was terrible. He achieved none of his aims as far as I'm aware. You know, it, all the, his long-term influence, of course, is academic. It's not really directly political. And the idea that you could get he almost seems to think he could get around having to have a direct political, you know, opposition to the to the leadership of the PCF. You could get around that by kind of obscure philosophical meanderings. Um, is uh, it's just not true, and it could, and it's almost demonstrated to not be true by um, by the you know the the. the the outcome of out of Alistair's career where he ended up, you know, pretty isolated really. Thank you for tuning in to this excerpt. If you want to hear our full interview with James, 
please support us on Patreon for $3 a month. You can find the link in the show notes below. Remember that our next book is going to be Theodore Adorno's Minima Moralia, if you want to read along. The Radical Thoughts podcast is an independent project and is not associated with Verso Books in any way. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.